don't want to be stuck with a thousand chickens and know where to sell them. <laughs> Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money, because whether we like it or not, money matters. I am your host, Maya Fisher-French, and if you have not been following the ABSA City Press Money Makeover journey, this is where we work with six people to help them transform their finances over six months. This year's winner was Nakawe, who not only paid off significant amounts of debt, but she also started a poultry business with just six and a half thousand rand. She did it with the help of Mancha Peha, who is a business strategist at Talent Unleashed. And I thought it would be really great to get Mancha onto the podcast to share her pearls of wisdom. So welcome, Mancha, onto the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast. Thank you very much, Maya, and uh, hello to the listeners. <laughs> I want to I first set a scene for our listeners so that you can kind of take them through the journey that you took Nakawe on, right? So she had this ancestral land um, that she wanted to use to farm free-range eggs. She had a, around 20,000 rand of capital available. She met with you. What happened from there? So she met with me uh, and explained to me, like you said, that she wanted to do uh, the free-range eggs. And that's how, that's how we started. So, so in the main, when I coach a person, they have to do the work. Uh, so uh, I, I guess this is why the, my work is so exciting, because I don't have to do anything. I just have to say, this is what we need next. You go and get it. So she then went to the supplier and uh, got the figures then for how much it will cost her to uh, get the layers, as we call them, the ones that lay the eggs, to get 100 layers because she didn't want to get into any type of debt. And then how much it will cost to feed them, to put them on the necessary medication, etc. And it just turned out that even if by the time they are laying one egg per day, she was still not going to uh, make money in the short term because the idea was she wants to build the business in such a way that it funds its own growth organically. Mm -hmm. So we looked at all the options, really tried to go as little as possible. It turned out that for her to even break even, she needed a thousand layers and she just didn't have the money to do that. So as she was uh, talking to uh, the supplier, and because I've also worked with somebody who was working on broilers. I then said to her, if she's willing, she can look at the option of broilers. And if she raises broilers, then she can use the money from the broilers to fund her ultimate dream, which is to, to have free range eggs. I want to stop you there just to explain to people what a broiler is. Because I have to tell you, when, 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 when I was first chatting to Nkawe, I had to go and look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not familiar with chicken terminology. <laughs> what is a boiler? <laughs> so I think most people understand what free-range eggs are because when we were growing up, if you grew up anywhere next to a rural area or next to a farm, you know that chickens would roam around and if you want, and, and they would just be eating from the earth. And if you wanted to kill a chicken, you would go run after it and then uh, kill the chicken so that you can have chicken meat. But what has happened then in an industrialized era is that there is an entire process where you are raising the chickens from one day old and in about four, uh, five to seven weeks, you have a fully grown chicken because of how you feed them uh, and how you just take care of 
of them medically, medically. So the medicine that you give them and the feed that you give them ensures that they grow faster than a normal free range chicken would grow. So that's what a broiler then is. Um, most of us would know the difference that the, your free range uh, chickens mostly will have the harder you know, uh, skin and your, your broilers are a bit softer. So those who are eating uh, your normal fast food chickens, chances are you are eating broiler chickens. Okay, now, of course, because they, they can be brought to market so much quicker, um, you get that turnover effect. So, so you're not having to wait. I mean, I don't know, you know, in terms of economies of scale, you're able to just turn that profit around quicker. Is that why it was easier for Nakawa to consider starting with, with, with the broiler chickens? Yes, what you said is spot on. The fact that the cycle is so much shorter and it's predictable. So, uh, like, you just know it's like clockwork. If I feed them like this, and that's, that's one of the key things that the supplier does for you, that there used to be a time where the only people who could get into this type of farming were people that, that had studied some kind of agriculture. But as you already know, that Nortawe has not necessarily studied agriculture. Most of the work she's done through self-study. But the suppliers then saw this gap, that actually if we, we educate more people on how to raise the broilers, so they give away quite a lot of information. They already have, you know, some specs uh, that they've set up already to say, if you are setting up for a hundred, this is what you need. And they have a package already set up so that you just uh, buy and it's a plug and play type of, of situation. So, so from that point of view, then it's easier for anyone to get into this type of business if they are willing to wake up early. Yeah, I mean, that, that is actually just so brilliant. And I know Nakawa is now also doing some training. Um, she's doing a training program. And it's amazing. I mean, you, you know, that, that, that this is a, an industry that recognizes the opportunity in increasing its supply by educating people. So I'm sure there are probably other industries out there that do that. But it's, I found that very, very interesting with the poultry, poultry industry. Now, I know you, you said Nakawa, and I thought this was also just such a genius element of it. Rather than even putting the full 20,000 that she had available, you said to her, do a pilot project first. Don't risk all your capital that you have. Just test it out because maybe you don't want to be a poultry farmer. I think sometimes we have pictures in our head and the reality is very different. So maybe just take us through a little bit of uh, the, the pilot project and, and what she set up there. So, and, and you, you're very correct in saying one, she's, determining whether this is what she wants because in theory she thinks uh, she can be a farmer but she can only know once she puts it to the test so that's the one thing but the second thing she has never done any kind of farming so her mother is uh, raising sheep and goats so that's a totally different thing and I think it's very few they have very few animals so they're not necessarily raising them to sell I think it's just for consumption at home and to keep herself busy now that she's retired. So the other thing is for her as a person, she needs to understand one, the industry, uh, two, just the process of what it takes to farm. But the most important thing is for her to build a market. That it's one thing to have 20,000 rents and to say, I can actually start with, let's say 500 broilers. But at the end of six weeks, who do you have that is going to buy 500 chicken. So the whole idea, actually, one of the main reasons why she had to start with a pilot is for her to gradually uh, build a, a, a customer base to build a market for herself. So it's very easy to assume that I grew up in this village. 
They know me in this village. Once I start selling chickens, people are going to buy them. But remember, these people are buying their meat from somewhere while you, you, you don't have a business. So converting them from wherever it is that they are buying from today is also something that takes a process. And in the same way that she got the education from her suppliers, she'll then have to embark on a process to inform and to educate the people in her village or in her surroundings, her, her market, about what she has to offer and what value it will bring uh, uh, to them and to their households. So, so starting with the pilot, really the main thing was you don't have a market. No one knows you as a farmer. And you don't want to be stuck with a thousand chickens and nowhere to sell them. <laughs> I mean, I think that's so brilliant. And, and you know, I just think how many people make that mistake? Um, and it's like, well, I have chickens, people will come. Well, not necessarily. You're going to have a lot of chickens running around. So, And I know you also spoke to, you said to her, you've got to start now. So she's only setting up the chickens. The chickens, she knows it's about six weeks to six to eight weeks before she can sell them. But you've got to start before that. You've got to start even before you have the chickens to, to develop your market. So how is she going about doing that, finding a, a market to sell these chickens to? So the, the first thing, I mean, she has home ground, home ground advantage, as you said, that this is a place where she grew up, she went to school, her mother is still there. So with our communities, and I think that's, that's where then you just play to your strengths, that in our communities, the Stockfells society are still very vibrant, especially in the rural areas. So the idea then is... If she manages to tap into those, because almost all of them, when it comes December, 15 December, they are all buying their supplies for the festive season. So if she manages to position herself in such a way that by the time that they are buying, uh, her stock is available, that would be great. Because not only will they buy for the festive season, uh, you know, festivities, but they will, they will know her as a supplier. They would have sampled her product. And if they like it, they will continue to buy from her. Uh, throughout the year. So, so the, the one strategy when it comes to her market that we really focused on is people who are already buying. How do we convert them uh, to buy from her? Then other things, uh, for example, things like your shisanyamas, your, your, because I wouldn't really call restaurants in the rural areas, but they are exactly that, that you'd have a shisanyama, they'd be selling drinks, but outside, whether it's the owner of the establishment or it's a person who has asked to come and sell meat outside that establishment. There's always someone that is selling on the outside. So we also looked at that, where these are, are really small businesses that if she works out a nice arrangement, and how, how we had said it is, if she sets up just a simple cage that it has, it doesn't matter, 10 or whatever, then they can also sell live and they can sell, and then they can sell slaughtered. So she will have three products. She will sell live chickens, she will slaughter and clean, she will slaughter and package. And she's working with another lady that I worked with last year, uh, and she's running a poultry business. I think she's doing a thousand now. She started out with 200 when we were together, and she's managed to grow to a thousand just by building these relationships. You'd be amazed and how quickly they add up. A lot of people would focus on, I want to supply the big retailers. But when you have this small volume, the big retailers won't even look at you. Uh, but uh, if you focus on these smaller ones, that's, that's the way that you then build your, your, your production to get to a scale where the big retailers can, 
at least have a meeting with you. And one of the things Nakawa shared with me was that how open her so-called competitors were to help her and work with her. Like you said, you know, the woman that you, you've put her in contact with. Because, you know, if you all club together, you can you become a bigger supplier. And it's almost the co-op, you know, the, the traditional kind of co-op idea that, that the farmers all bring their produce together and then and then together they can sell. So, you know, somebody may come to to a, a to to a farmer and say, I need uh, ten thousand chickens. I was like, whoops, a little bit more for me, but I know a couple of people I can call in. And she said she yeah. was amazed at how open people were to to sharing information with her. I think that the, the big thing that comes from that is that entrepreneurship is quite a lonely journey. So unlike uh, if you're a professional, um, generally you're surrounded by other professionals and it's very easy for you to be in the same location, you'll meet at events, etc., etc. But for most people who are, who are running businesses, especially small-scale businesses that don't have a lot of resources, they get to do a lot of things alone. And even when they're talking to other people in, in their social circles, they don't understand the type of work that they are doing. I mean, when you try to explain that I'm wake up at four to clean the chicken coop, people can't really understand what you're talking about. But I think every time when another entrepreneur sees another person doing what they are doing, they're actually eager because, oh, I, I found a tribe. So I think even for her, she actually found that, that, people that she considered competition, even when they saw her, they didn't think about her as competition. I mean, a few were not willing to share information, but in the main, people were willing to, to share information with her. And, and like you, you mentioned, uh, this business, the broiler business is a cyclical business. So sometimes it's not even that you don't have the capacity. Sometimes it's that I come to you, and when I come to you, your broilers are two weeks old, and I need them now. So you are able to go to another farmer and say, please fulfill this order for me. And when my broilers are six weeks old, I'll, 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 I'll either give them to you or I'll pay you. But what, whatever arrangement that you have in that way, you are not under pressure to have two week old broilers, four week old broilers and, and ones that are ready to be sold. So once you approach the business with that thinking, you don't see your own supply as finite but you look at the supply from your neighboring uh, colleagues as well. And, and seeing that uh, Notkawe is just uh, naturally the, the type of person who, who cooperates more than, or who collaborates more than she competes, it will work out very good for her. No, it's going to be so, I can't wait to, can't wait to, once she starts it, and, and we're definitely going to be doing a follow-up on it. But um, I wanted you to go back to this pilot concept, because I think it is the minimal viable product. You know, that is, is a yes. lot about bootstrapping, um, how, you know, how do you pilot something? So, you know, when you, you set up a pilot project, what are the measurables? What, how are you measuring success? How do you decide at the end of the day that this is successful and you're going to grow it? So the most important thing is you need to understand what the objective of your pilot is. And like you said, um, you want to just get enough um, features or benefits uh, to be able to have something to sell. I mean, this comes uh, from the old engineering days, but it was made very popular by the whole technology startups because a person would just say, okay, at a minimum, uh, this phone should call and send SMSs and probably be able to load a couple of apps. But as people use it, they will complain about what they need 
they will give suggestions about what else to add. And as your customers give you real life feedback, you are able to incorporate it into your product. So it's the very same thing with Notkawi to say for now, just sell live chickens and sell as few as you can possibly afford. And in her case, it was a hundred. And as you are selling to your customers, your customers will speak back to you. One, if you run out of um, chickens before the end of the month, you already know I need to increase my volume. But you don't increase because you have a curve that says by month three, you need to have a thousand. So your market or your business will speak to you and it will tell you what you need to do next. Uh, let's say maybe people are complaining that your chickens are too small. Then you realize I shouldn't be selling them at four and a half weeks. I need to grow them a little bit more and sell them at six weeks. So, so then what's very important for you is to understand what are those variables that you need to be tracking. And for her, we, we determined because she's running a poultry business, we determined a couple of variables for her to track. The consumption of the feed. Uh, so for, for uh, what is the, the most efficient or the most effective uh, from a profitability point of view, how she feeds them, etc. So once she has all those rates to say for a broiler to move from day one uh, to day, I'll just say an, as an example, to day 50, this is how much feed it takes for me. This is how much medicine it takes. Then the question becomes looking at, um, a, 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 um, what, what, what's the word that I'm looking for? Looking at best practice. Where are you? so that she uses the time for the pilot to run the most effective business she can run. And that stuff can only happen through experience. So if you are a runner, like I am a runner, I've been trying to improve my pace. And the only way for me to improve my pace is to run. So the, the more I run, the following day I can tell myself, okay, I have to get a better pace than I got yesterday. So for her, it's the very same thing. So then, as we are setting up the, the, the pilot, we agree on what those parameters are that she's going to be, uh, to be uh, uh, tracking. And also then, it also gives her an opportunity to meet challenges. Let's say if some kind of a flu breakouts for her, she knows what she needs to do. Uh, will she lose the entire crop? What will she do? So, so, so the, there are a, a couple of things that we set out for her and we said, track these things monthly, quarterly, and as you track them, then you are able to make decisions from the information that the results are giving you. I mean, I remember you did, a, there was a really great spreadsheet um, looking at the cash flow, looking at the profitability. And I know you put in a mortality rate. You said, don't assume you, if you have 100 chicks, they're gonna, you're going to sell 100 chickens, you know, because there is, is, is you know, some of them will die, um, there may be issues. So, so that kind of information, that the sort of mortality rate of, of the chickens, did she get that from, from other, other uh, farmers who gave that input? Or how does one decide on those the kind of the numbers you should first punch in, I suppose. So, so in the main, there's also quite a, a lot of desktop research that, that, that gets done. So on my side, that's probably uh, some of the value that I bring into the discussion that will have best practice. Uh, this is what the mortality rate is like, but you have never farmed before. 
you have never raised chicks before. So if this is the average mortality rate, I think in her case, it was 4%. Let's double it for you. And I think for her, we took it at 7.5%. And the other thing is, you also don't get discouraged as a farmer. Say, oh, my chicks are dying. I don't know what's wrong. Because you just know, okay, this is part of the process. And, and as you grow as a farmer, that mortality rate must come lower and lower. Because by the time you're dealing with a thousand, you don't want to be killing 40 chicks, you know? Um, so you want to, to make sure that you give yourself a chance to investigate why are my chicks dying? Maybe the place is too small and they are overcrowded and they are stepping on each other and suffocating each other. Let me increase the surface area. So those are the things that you will only know once you start working. So on my side, I do a lot of desktop research. I'm not a farmer. You know, now I feel like I'm a farmer. I'm not a farmer. All the farming knowledge that I have is from speaking to people at the Department of Agriculture who are also very helpful. So I, I speak a lot with people from the Department of Agriculture and I do a lot of desktop research. Then when I give her that information, she's able to then feed it into, the, into her processes. So that's how we came up with those Okay, and it's interesting that you, you mentioned the Department of Agriculture um, as being helpful. <laughs> so so where does one get information from? I mean, obviously people can come to you, uh, uh, you know, but where do people, you know, are there government grants, are there government departments? You know, if you had to, to tell somebody, go and do your research, go contact who? So the Department of Agriculture needs patience. <laughs> That's one thing that I... I have to say, but you know, uh, let me just uh, maybe teach our listeners just a small trick. So what I do, I go to LinkedIn. And when I go to LinkedIn, if I need a contact somewhere, let's say at City Press, I will try to find whether it's a second connection, it's a third connection, it's a fourth connection. That way, I never really get to call the call center. And another thing that I do, I also use social media a lot. So when I'm looking for someone at the Department of Agriculture in the Northern Cape, and I don't come from the Northern Cape, I don't know anyone there, I just go on my timeline, I say, guys, please help. I'm looking for somebody who could help me speak to someone at the Department of Agriculture at the Northern Cape. Once I have a name, it becomes so much easier to call and say, hi, Maya, I got your numbers from Notkawe, and I wanted to find this information. And if you can help me, you are able to say, I know somebody else who can help me. When I call that other person, I say, I got the numbers from Maya. So... But like I said, sometimes it requires a lot of patience. But in the main, especially when you start to demonstrate to people that you have done some work before, they are willing to help you. So I'll give you a, a, an example with the lady that I helped prior to Nukawe, that by the time she got financial support from APSA and she was already building something, when we were speaking to the Department of Agriculture, we were even selling to them the fact that thing is already off the ground and when you guys join it now you get to you get to share in the shine and i think that just made it easy so sometimes uh, i know that uh, some people don't really like politicians but we just have to learn to lobby you know to lobby uh, the people from the department of agriculture because they get a lot of uh, requests for help and and they, they get to pick and choose who they help i know they're not supposed to do that but unfortunately this is the reality of where we live so so for you to get help from the department of agriculture just try and come up with a strategy and see how they can help you but when you do get help from the department of agriculture they can even help you you know with uh, making sure that you have all the 
the, the, the medicine that you need, that you don't have flus breaking out. They can help you with a lot of compliance-related issues. So some of the things that will be more difficult for you to do as an individual, when they come through as a department, they already have the infrastructure in place and it becomes easy. Then from a funding point of view, um, it's, it's, it's for women farmers, there are quite a number of organizations that are willing to help women farmers. But sadly, what I have found is they want you to have started. And a lot of people don't have the money to start. So organizations are happy to help you once you have started. But if you are saying I have an idea like it happened in Notawe's case, it's very difficult to get help. But then if you are able to get a small amount of money to start with the pilot, that would be great. Sadly, though, Maya, for a lot of people, when they do start with the pilot, they have to live off of the profits from the pilot. And if you are planning on scaling for some time, you can't live off of the profits because the profits are supposed to grow the business. So it's a catch-22 situation, to be honest with you. And for the subsistence farmer, most people feel like they're in that cycle where they're not able to increase production simply because they are buying bread. They sell a chicken and buy bread and buy milk. So it's still something that we, we need to sort out, I think, for a lot of subsistence farmers. I mean, it is so true. And I think even on, on Money Makeover, we had um, one of our other candidates, Stefan, had a, has a vape shop. And he said that was the problem. He had enough capital to buy the original stock, but he had to sell that stock to buy more stock. And if you're in that position... Yep. Um, and you don't have the extra cash flow, it, it becomes difficult. And I suppose one of the, the things is, and it is difficult, but if you if you are like a Nkawe or like a Stefan, where you have another job, maybe just delay yeah. it, just spend a little bit more time saving so that you've got a little bit more capital. And I think that's also a mistake some people make, they kind of fly into it, uh, think it's a solution, but actually, you know, maybe if they waited a little longer and just built up a little bit more capital, that would be, would be a, a, you know, would help them initially. Um, and I think people do tend to underestimate how much capital they need initially and also how long it takes to become profitable. I mean, that's a question I'm going to ask you. What defines profit? At what point would you say Nkawe is now profitable? So, and I, I like what you just mentioned about delaying your job. So when it comes to profitability, one of the key uh, cost drivers is the salary of the owner. So one, now that uh, Notkawe is running the pilot or for as long as she's running the pilot, she's at her job because the business cannot afford her salary. Even if she needs someone that is going to run the farm for her, she will not get someone who ends at the salary level where she ends. And a lot of, of business owners, when they start out in business, because they are so passionate, they want to be the ones that run this thing, uh, want to come into the business so that the, the business can be able to afford their salary. So one, either you come into the business and you end at the salary where the business can afford you, or you stay at your work. Then the advantage of staying at your work is that you are able to bankroll the business. You're able to bootstrap. You're able to, to uh, provide a cash flow injection where a cash flow injection is needed. And, and people must not worry about the fact that, no, I'm going to be giving my money to the business. What if I never see it? You give it there as a shareholder's loan so that later on, should you decide to uh, sell some is very clear, there's this loan that you've given to the business. So when it comes to profitability for now with the pilot, one of the other reasons why we decided on a pilot is for her 
to not have full-time staff. So her mother will, will, will be a, a manager of the farm, but she will get occasionally when she needs a, 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 a part-time staff member. And hopefully she'll be able to get an intern from the agri-seater who will be paid for by the agri-seater to come and help her, especially with the technical staff. So, so her break-even for the pilot is not a true break-even because when she's running the business, uh, all those costs will start to come in. She will have to rent the farm, even though the, uh, the money that she pays in rent may not necessarily be going out to her mother as rent, but she'll have to show all that money so that she can see if she's really profitable. Because for most of us, when you are working from home, you, your husband is paying for the electricity and lights and for your space. You don't expense that rent. You don't expense that uh, electricity, etc. So it's better for you to have a true picture of what it means for you to be profitable. And in Notkawa's case, she will only start to be profitable at a thousand broilers. Um, and well, I, I believe her now. When we started out, I did not believe her, but she's quite aggressive. You know, she's quite soft-spoken. So I, I was like, yeah, but she's actually quite aggressive in terms of, of growing her business. So she feels she can get there in about six months. And I must say, I believe her now after having worked with her that she can get to that volume in six months. But I think that is so important. And, and just as a, as a matter of interest, I mean, you, you had such a great template for her. Is there, Where does somebody find this sort of stuff? I mean, there's, you know, we know online there's a lot of information. Where does one find things like templates to look at profitability, cash flow, um, and that kind of thing? No, like, like you said, um, online there's, there's quite a, a lot of, 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 of templates. And, and just whatever business that you are starting, don't look for a generic template. Try and specify and say this, I'm looking for a cash flow template for this particular business. Because what then you will find is some of the free resources that you will find will actually give you some type of guidance as to how to, to complete it. But one of the, 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 the easy resources that most of us have access to is just some of the students in our neighborhoods who are studying these things. You know that, you know, there's a student who's studying accounting. For you, you're looking at this spreadsheet for a very long time. The more you look at it, the more it confuses you. So instead of trying to do all these things on your own, ask, ask someone else to come and have a look. So for me personally, I'm an engineer. And by now, because I've worked with this quite a lot, it comes easy for me. But occasionally, I always ask my friends who are CAs, some of my nieces and nephews who are studying to be CAs, say, I can't are studying this thing at school. Have a look at this and test it for me. Tell me if there's something that I missed on the formulas. Tell me if intuitively it makes sense given the theory that you are learning at school. So those are some of the resources that sometimes you don't want to share with people. And lastly, I know that when it comes to money, people actually don't want others to see how they are doing. And that's where we mostly make mistakes. So instead of you know hogging the information and not allowing other people to see into what you are doing, if you know that someone can you know give some input into what you are doing, you don't have to give them everything. Just share with them some of the things so that you can get their input into what you are doing. That's brilliant. And I just have to say, I've so enjoyed talking to you. Um, I did enjoy talking to you and, and working with you through, through Nkawa's journey. And 
just listening to you so practical and down to earth um and just you know just, you just make not sound easy i mean it's never <laughs> easy but you just make it sound like okay I understand this now, you know, and I think you've given some great steps. But just just to end off, you know, what services, if somebody's listening to this and they say they want you, <laughs> what services do you do? How do you, you know, I know you came on because APSA, you're part of the NAPSA program, but how do, how do you normally operate with, with small business operators? So I coach, I coach small businesses and professionals. So just to give you a bit of background, I used to work for these big consulting firms and we used to give really amazing support to big corporates. And I always used to be jealous because my parents ran a small business. You say they would never afford these rates. And even the type of implementation plans that we give them, they don't have the departments. They don't have a risk department. They don't have a finance department. They don't have a business development department. So they will never be able to implement you know, the recommendations that we provide. So what I then did, because I've always been passionate about small business, I then took those tools that we used to use, you know, in your best-in-class international consulting firms and brought them to the level of the small business, the mom and pups, the solo entrepreneur, the entrepreneur who's the only professional in the business and everyone else is a blue-collar worker. How do they implement these strategies? So the very same tools but just delivered, like you are saying, in a more practical, uh, pragmatic way that people can implement immediately in their businesses. So I do the same uh, for professionals as well in terms of their career. I, I, I do books as well. So most of my books also just speak to that. So I, 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 I write books. And the reason why they asked me to come and speak to Notawe was because one of my books is Money 101 that talks about money. But then when I spoke to Notawe, it just turned out that no, actually this is more a coaching and an entrepreneurship uh, engagement. So that's that's the work that I do. Fantastic. And where do people find you if they want to find you? So on my website, which is mancha.com, www.mancha.com, or on social media, uh, I'm Mancha Pieha on all the social media platforms. Uh, inbox me. Uh, uh, you can even send me a message on the website. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's easy to get hold of me on the website. Brilliant, fantastic, and I'll also put all those links up with the with the podcast so people can see them. And uh, I think we must definitely make a date for another chat early next year. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Maya. This was wonderful. Thank you. A great host. <laughs> I feel like I was chatting to a friend. 